So, you ever have the feeling that all kinds of things are grabbing hold of you and pulling you in all kinds of directions all at the same time? <laughs> I did not expect an amen, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, seriously, do you ever feel that the demands of life, whether that's self-expectations or the expectations of others, whether that's family, work, whatever, you ever have that feeling that these things are just grabbing hold and tugging you all the time? Yeah? It's kind of like tug-of-war. You remember tug-of-war, right? You're on one side holding on to that rope. Your opponent on the other side holding on to that rope. Right here, right here is a line in the sand or dirt, I don't know. Or if it's a little more aggressive and competitive, could be a pit filled with, well, I don't know, dirt, water, mud. And if you happen to be playing tug of war with a pit at a family reunion, oftentimes it's, you know, leftovers that get thrown into the pit as well. So you never know what you're going to find yourself in. But the whole idea, opponent, you holding on for dear life. Because the whole idea is for you to hold your ground. Stay firm. And then pull. Because the whole idea here is for you not to lose ground and for you to bring your opponent onto your side. That's tug of war. Now, as a game, it's pretty innocent, right? I mean, if you win, yay! Uh, trophies, you know, I, no. But yay! And if you lose, well, what do you lose? A little pride, a little face, some embarrassment, maybe a skinned knee if you lost your balance, or maybe you got to clean up if it was mud or whatever else. But, you know, you get up, you clean up, you wipe off, you live to play and maybe win or lose another day. But what happens when an innocent game of tug-of-war becomes real conflicts of the powers that are in our lives? Hmm? What is at stake when we are pulled in directions that have personal, relational, spiritual, and even eternal consequences. What happens to us when we are constantly pulled between right and wrong, good and evil, love and hate, light and dark. Our self-interests against the interests of others, and even our desires, our will, against God's will. Who wins? Who loses? And what is at stake if we lose? What is at stake if we constantly lose between this tug back and forth? Well, 
we stand to lose our integrity. Which side are we supposed to be on? And stay on. How am I supposed to understand myself as a team player? We lose our identity. Who am I? What team am I on? What is my role on this side? We lose our security. We never know. Is the next tug of war, is our opponent going to be stronger than us? Are we going to be able to overcome and overwhelm the forces against us? How can we ever be sure of where we're supposed to be and if we are actually winning? And then there's eternity. We can never be sure that we'll be on the right side of that day when the Lord returns, when the promise of God's kingdom is fulfilled, when there is a new heaven and a new earth. And all that God has promised to those who have trusted in Him and all that He has promised to those who have rejected Him, how can we be sure that we're on the right side of eternity? These are the things that are at stake in this tug of war. And so you see, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of these tug of wars that we have, we often lose sight, we often forget who we are and whose we are. Our study of John's first letter up to this point reminds us of who we are and whose we are in the midst of these tugs, in the midst of these struggles. First, John reminds us of who we are and whose we are because of the incarnation. He what? Yep, that's right. God Almighty became flesh, became one of us. The Word became flesh and pitched a tent among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, laid in a manger in Bethlehem, grew up in a podunk little town called Nazareth. This is Jesus. This is the one who came, who was glorified, who was exalted as Mashiach, as Messiah, as Christ. This is the incarnation. And in that incarnation, we learned who we are and whose we are. Because in that incarnation, we learn that God is real, not a myth, not a projection, not something we wish humans could be, but real. And in that reality, God manifested Himself in a relationship. He came to be with us. Emmanuel is the Hebrew, and it literally means God with us. 
And in that relationship, in that relationship through the incarnation, we learn that God is revelational. God has something He wants us to know about us. He has something He wants us to know about Him. And this is what He revealed in that incarnation. First, God is light. And light stands for truth. God, there is no darkness in God. There are no lies in, dark, in God. There are no misconceptions or deceptions in God. God is light. He is the truth. Who God is, what creation is all about, and what God plans to do to bring that creation back to Himself. We learn that God is life. L I F life. Not only is God life in and of Himself, not only is God the giver of life, not only is God the redeemer of life, but in that relationship with that life, we have a life. Not just biological life, but a life that cannot be exhausted. A life that cannot be denigrated, deprecated, cannot be discredited, not be discarded. Because it is rooted, it is grounded in the one who is life himself. And then we also learned that God is love. The very essence, the very reality of God is love. Not a sugary, syrupy sentimentality, but a power, a person a force that is transformative, that can take the lowly, lost soul and transform that person into a son or a daughter of God. Do you believe that you are worth being a son or a daughter of God? No. Because God loves us first, not because we've earned it, but because He love us, loves us, and that is the power of God's love, to extend, to take that initiative, to come to us and say, I am yours, you are mine. That is love. And all of that we learned in the incarnation, and it raises the question, eh, so what? So God showed up in the flesh. Great story. So God showed up in the flesh. Yeah, now we know something about the Christian God. So what? The so what that helps us understand who we are and whose we are is because in that incarnation, Jesus accomplished three things. One, propitiation. We talked about this before. Reminder. Propitiation means to take away anger, to take away wrath to take away, in this case, the judgment that rightly belongs to us. And I know, folks, I know, we weary, we weary of hearing, being told that we're sinners. In fact, many of us do everything we can to avoid the Word. We're just, we could use some improvement. We need to be tweaked, but we certainly don't sin. <sighs> Don't you see the irony? That in saying we don't sin, we're actually committing the very thing we say we don't do. Wrap your head around that one. But in the incarnation, Jesus becomes our propitiation. In His obedience, even death on a cross, 
He takes away that judgment. He takes away that anger. God is satisfied in that the plan of God, the redemptive history of God, is now marching forward. And in that, God is pleased. In that, Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is also our expiation. Big fancy words, which simply means that Jesus has taken away the guilt that is rightfully ours. We make decisions not to believe. We make decisions not to behave. We make decisions not to love. We do. And again, I know, we want to say, well, the devil made me do it. Please. It made Flip Wilson millions of dollars. It does diddly squat for us. Because it's theologically, well, wrong. James reminds us that the greatest evil that comes out of humans originates within humans. But that being said, Jesus is our expiation in that his obedience unto death, even death on a cross, takes away the guilt that is rightfully ours, wiped clean. God doesn't even see it because in order to look at us, God has to look through his son and his son currently sits, stands at the right hand of God the Father. So in order to see us, God has to, imagine this, God, Jesus, the rest of us. And for God to address the rest of us, he has to look through Jesus. And what does he see? Children, sons, daughters, forgiven. That's what he sees. That's what Jesus has accomplished. Ah, but so what? Because we're still failing. I know we don't like to talk about that either, but here's the reality. We are fallen. We are fallible. We make mistakes. We make mistakes within our own heads. We make mistakes between ourselves and others. We make mistakes between ourselves and God. We're fallible. We're fallen. And because of that, we fail. And so if Jesus is this wonderful incarnation, if Jesus has done all these wonderful things for us and we're still going to fail, so what? Which brings us to the most important conclusion, and that is Jesus is our intercessor. Standing, sitting at the right hand of God, he's not twiddling his thumbs. He's not doing sudoku. He's not waiting for the end to come. He is actively, in fact, if you remember from last week when we were looking at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews reminds us that he is always living to advocate for us. Folks, It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about this. It's not. It's about trusting that God showed up in the flesh, was obedient to death, took away our guilt, took away our punishment, and now 
sits or stands with the father and says, Dad, our plan is working. Let's not lose anybody. That's the confidence we have. That's the assurance that we have. That's how we can know who we are and whose we are. But it brings us to a third question. And that is, now what? Fine, I'll concede the theological stuff. Fine, I'll concede the ethical stuff. You know, we got to behave and all that kind of stuff. Fine. But now what? And that is the question we're going to focus on for the remainder of our time together. So I invite you to take your Bibles, your devices, whatever you have, and turn with me to the book that we call the first letter of John, 1 John. This morning we will focus on verses 3 through 17, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 17. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Blessed are you, O God Almighty, King of heaven and earth. We offer this time and this prayer to you. We ask now, O God, that the Spirit who inspired this word will be the same Spirit that will open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to the truth, the truth that you are light, the truth that you are love, the truth that you are life. And may this truth equip us and empower us to be your hands, to be your feet, to be your heart, to be your children, to be secure, to be assured that we are indeed rescued, redeemed, adopted. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our salvation. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first letter of John, chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, I am reading from the New American Standard Bible. Listen now to the Word of God. And by this we know we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he did. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you, because... The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes.' 
I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, are forgiven you for his name's sake. And I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him has been, who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Okay. Now what? Where do we go from here? What are we supposed to do? You remember that some years ago, Nike, you know Nike, right? The sports athletic equipment, all that. Nike had a saying, a tagline, just do it. So the answer to now what is just live it. Just live. But in our case, what we're going to do, in order to understand what John has written to us, we're going to use LIVE, L-I-V-E, as an acronym. And we're going to use that to guide our study for the rest of the time. But note, we have a choice. We can live in the light, or we can live in the dark. And we must recognize that we're going to be pulled both ways. Now what? Just live. What does live mean? Let's start with L. L means we can either love in the light or we can languish in the dark. We can love in the light or we can languish in the dark. First John, John's entire letter is all about reminding us who we are and whose we are in God's love. God is love, and everything that God has revealed about himself is grounded in that love. And if we take a look at what we just read from First John chapter 2, we look at verse 7, beginning with verse 7. He begins by saying, beloved, a a term of endearment, a tender term when he's writing to those who will read saying, look, I call you beloved because you already are. Because of the grace of God, because God is love, you are already wrapped in that love of God. And so I call you beloved. Now, some of our Bibles have been a little circumspect and have decided to say, my friends, Let me use a technical term to help dispel that problem. (laughs) The word is beloved. And my beloved, I encourage us to use that word among ourselves. It's easy to call each other friends. It's much more difficult and much more truthful to refer to ourselves and to each other as beloved. 
as beloved. We are loved by God, and we are charged to love others as God first loved us. That's why when we take a look at this passage from verse, beginning with verse 7, John says, those of you who are beloved, just as I am beloved, what does it mean to be in this love? What does it mean to share this love? It means to follow the commandment. We saw that the charge to obey His commandments is up in verses 3 through 6. But here, he talks about the nature of that commandment, and the nature of that commandment is both old and new. It's old because it harkens all the way back to Deuteronomy. It harkens all the way back to Moses. But it harkens back even before that, a couple of times already in John. We have seen John refer to Jesus and the truth of God. God himself is that who is from the beginning. The love that we have and the love that we are to share with each other is as old as eternity. But it's also brand spanking new. And it's new because Jesus has given us an understanding. He has demonstrated how it is new. And it's new because now we can use it in relationship with God the Father. We can call God Father a new expression of love. We've seen in Jesus that we are to love anybody and everybody around us, not just our neighbor next door, not just the people who go to our same church. We are to love entirely. And ladies and gentlemen, beloved, I have a plea for you, and this is, this is personal. Whatever happens over this next year with regards to politics, if you hear somebody claim the name of Jesus, and in the same sentence, the same breath, the same paragraph, the same speech, mention anything about hating somebody else, that person, I don't care who it is, is a liar. And that speaks for itself. But Jesus' love is also new because it's self-sacrificial. He gave himself up for us. He didn't count being God something to hold on to, something to treasure, but he emptied himself and became a servant, took human form, and was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. But the other reason that this love is new is because it's transformational. I've already touched on this. It's not syrupy. It's not sentimentality. It's not mere affection. It's not, oh, I love that. It's, I transform you. I bring you into my family. I bring you into my belovedhood. I change the world. So we can either love in the light or we can languish in the dark. If you take a look at verses uh, 10 and 11, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. We have that, and there is no cause for stumbling in that person. But, verse 11, the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we choose not to love, if we choose to live in darkness, we are blinded by the darkness. We don't even know how to get to where we need to go. 
and we languish and our life fades. So, live, we begin with L. We can either love in the light or we can languish in the dark. I, we can either be intimate in the light or we can be imitators in the dark. Intimate in the light or imitators in the dark. Now, I know for some of us, we hear the word intimate and we go to a place that's a little risque, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is intimacy, to be in relationship. Throughout the first two chapters of John, we have seen the word know repeatedly, to know God, to know God, to know God. And we need to appreciate that that word know is more than just intellectual assent. It helps to convey the Hebrew concept that is in the word yada. And to know, to yada, means to know someone intimately, personally. To know the good, the bad, the ugly. Thank you, Clint Eastwood. To be able to say, you're more than just an acquaintance. You're more than just a friend. I love you. You are beloved. That's what it means to be intimate, to be intimate in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to be intimate in fellowship with each other because we share that common faith, that common fellowship. On the other hand, though, we could be simply imitators in the dark. If you take a look at verse 6, it reads, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, to unpack that, what essentially John is saying is that if we say that we know God, if we say and behave in a way that demonstrates that knowledge of God, if we love God and in return love others, we are in the light. And in so doing, we are intimate with Jesus. We are in that relationship with Jesus. But what if we don't want to make that commitment What if we don't want to make that intimacy? What if imitating Jesus is good enough? Jesus doesn't have to be God. He doesn't, certainly doesn't have to be God incarnate. Jesus doesn't have to be my intercessor. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was the paradigm of ethical behavior. Jesus was a martyr. And what better way to live? Oh, I don't want to be a martyr. Heck, I don't even want to be ethically good. I just want to be known for following a martyr. I just want to be known for thinking that ethics is good. That's good enough. There's also a technical term for that thinking. John tells us if we are intimate with God through our intimacy with Jesus, we remain in the light. But if Jesus is nothing more than a model, if Jesus is nothing more than an imitation, if we are nothing more than just 
doing what Jesus did, then we're as good as Jesus. I'm not too sure what that says about people who decide that they want to be nailed to a cross at Easter time. Do they really think that they're going to take away the sins of the world? Do you really think that Jesus paraded around with a cross to get attention to himself? Then how is that imitating Jesus correctly? So we can ape Jesus, do what he did, or we can apply Jesus. Now that one we don't mind because we actually wear a wristband to remind us to apply Jesus. Right? What would Jesus do? So, oh boy, we find ourselves in an ethical conundrum. Oh boy, ah, I need to make a decision. What would Jesus do? Let's apply his teaching to this. Yeah, but he wants you to be in a relationship. I don't need to be in a relationship with him. I have a relationship problem now, and I need to fix this now. So Jesus, come on board, fix the problem. Once the problem's fixed, see you next time. So we can either be intimate in the light or we can imitate in the dark. The third V, we can be victorious in the light or we can be vanquished in the dark. Victorious in the light or vanquished in the dark. If you take a look at beginning of verse 12, John writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Note the next. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. But then John goes on to repeat it again, to emphasize, to help his readers understand the gravity of this, because he goes on to say, I have written to you children because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. If we live in the light, if we live in the love, if we know who God is, if we have right belief, right behavior, right belovedness, belovedness towards God and belovedness to those around us. If all of that aligns, we have been assured that we are victorious. You might recognize the word. I've already used it. Nike. Nike. That's the Greek word for victor. That's who we are. We are nikoi. That's the plural. Put that on your refrigerator. Put that on a bumper sticker. Nikoi. Paul goes further in Romans chapter 8. He says, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. And it's been brought to my attention by a dear friend of mine that overwhelming is actually an emphatic speaking of whelming. To be whelmed is to be overcome. Overwhelmed is to be over-overcome. To live in the light of God, to live in the intimacy of Jesus, is to be victorious in the light, to be victorious over the evil one, to be victorious over lies. Or we can be vanquished in the dark. 
to be consistently and constantly consumed by the evil of this world. Which brings me to the fourth one, E. We can either live eternally in the light, or we can live ephemerally in the dark. And you're thinking, did I have to make a stretch to get the E's line up? And the answer is yes, I did. But ephemeral works because ephemeral literally means to be short-lived, of short endurance. And so we may choose to live eternally in the light of God, or we may choose to live ephemerally in the love of the world. And we're going to finish with this. If you take a look back at the text, beginning with verse 15, John writes this. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. And beloved, John is not saying reject the world, hunker down, bunker down, hate everything, hate everybody, except yourself, of course, because you're right, or those in your tribe because you're all right, or those in your party because, you know, you're all right, but hate everybody else, everything else, if they're the wrong color, if they have the wrong hair color, if they're from the wrong country, if they're from the wrong church in the Christian church, hate them. That's not what he says. So please stop doing it. We should all stop doing it. But what he says is that if you choose to love the world, these are the things that you need to watch for. And if you read the rest of the text to verse 17, he says, don't love carnal cravings. Those things that originate within your own physical or emotional or psychological desires. There's a big fancy word in Greek philosophy, it's called hedonism. Hedonism means that something is right because it brings pleasure. And John says, be careful with that. That's putting you first instead of God first. Your gratification rather than God's glorification. He goes on to say, Watch out for, in some of our Bible says, itchy eyes or, or wandering eyes. Two things here. First of all, moral myopia. You know what myopia is, right? Nearsightedness. Moral myopia. Keep your eyes open to that which is true. Give attention to that which is ethical based on the love of God. Not what brings the greatest pleasure to you, not what brings the best consequence to you, but that which is in line with God. The other part to that wandering eyes thing is what we call visual vice, looking for those things that bring gratification. We don't need to get lurid here, so I'm not going to fill in the blank. I'll leave that to you. But then the third thing that he says, the things of the world, please don't love them. He says, do not love the arrogance of acquisition. Don't fall in love with the things that you accumulate to yourself. Oh, I know, 
We enjoy thinking about having the car that we want, the house that we want, the clothes that we want, the jewelry we want, the friends that we want, the notoriety that we want. We're all thrilled in some way, shape, or form about the acquisitions. But we become arrogant, thinking, well, these are mine. I earned them. They belong to me. And the caution is that, again, self-gratification replaces God's glorification. And what's even worse, folks, these things are going to pass. They are. I'm going to be 65 in February. I have to sign up for Medicare. Yeah, I know. I'm watching my body age. I'm watching the house age. Kathy and I have to make decisions about things no longer staying with us. We don't need them. Things will pass. All of you are sitting in pews that used to be occupied by other people. Those people have either died or moved on. Things pass. The world is ephemeral. It is short-lived. And we have a choice. We can either choose to live eternally in the light, or we can choose to live ephemerally in the dark. Who we are and whose we are is something we struggle with all the time. We are constantly being pulled in different directions by different things that demand our attention, our time, our resources, and yes, beloved, even our very souls. And in the midst of those struggles, it's easy to forget who we are and whose we are. I challenge us. I commend us, I beg us to remember who we are and whose we are because of the incarnation of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, because of his intercession. He stands, he sits at the powerful right hand of God to speak on our behalf. When we stumble, when we fail, when we fall, Jesus is there saying to the Father, let us continue because our plan is perfect and this one will not get away. And what do we do with that? Live it. Love in the light. Don't languish in the dark. Be intimate with God in the light. Don't imitate Jesus in the dark. Be victorious in the power of God in the light. Don't be vanquished by the evil one in the dark. And live eternally in the light of God. Don't live ephemerally in the darkness of this passing world. Beloved, Live in the light. Will you pray with me, please? We thank you, O God, our Heavenly Father, one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, always present, almighty. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the love. We thank you for the light. We thank you for the life that we have by grace through faith in Jesus, who is the incarnation of God. 
who is our intercession, and who then empowers us to instantiate, to live, to be the truth, to be the love, to be the life that you have revealed to us. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. Lift us up, brush us off, heal us, cleanse us, encourage us, and empower us. That from this moment on, this moment on, we choose to love in the light, to be intimate with God in the light, to be victorious with God in the light, and to live eternally with God in the light. To you be all honor and glory now and forever. And we pray this in the blessed name of the one who came and showed us the light, even Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.